Consumer groups for decades have criticized and wondered how much money health insurance companies actually spend on medical care. Under the health care reform law, they will actually come closer to knowing, thanks to the so-called medical loss ratio provisions of the legislation. You're listening to Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Timothy Jost. Mr. Jost holds the Robert L. Willett Family Professorship of Law at the Washington and Lee University School of Law. It's a position he has held since 2001. He has been published widely and is a noted speaker on health care regulation and comparative case law, having co-authored the casebook Health Law, which is used widely throughout the United States in teaching health law. He has practiced and taught for more than two decades in Chicago and Ohio before joining the Washington and Lee Law faculty. He has a BA degree from the University of California at Santa Cruz and is a graduate cum laude from the University of Chicago Law School. We're so happy to have him join us from his offices in Virginia. Timothy Jost, welcome to Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, a lot of physicians and consumers in general, they don't know what a medical loss ratio is. So if you could tell us a little bit about the medical loss ratio and what's being done with health care reform. Okay. Well, when a consumer purchases an insurance policy, whether it's an individual or whether it's an employer for a group, they pay a premium. Some portion of that premium hopefully goes to actually pay for health care. And that is the medical loss ratio. It is the amount of the, one way of looking at it, I suppose, is the amount of money that the insurance company loses actually paying for health care, although most of us would have thought that's why we were buying the insurance policy. Historically, it's been primarily of interest to investors because the lower the medical loss ratio, the more money that's available for profit. But the new regulation tries to turn that on its head and says that or the new statute and regulation, and says that the goal of health insurance companies really should be spending money on health care. And so it establishes minimum medical loss ratios, a minimum proportion of the premium revenue that insurers have to spend on health care and also on activities that improve the quality of health care. And so basically this is probably the first time that, at least in a broad way, where a consumer would have the satisfaction of knowing that when they hear stories about health insurance companies having high overhead costs, that they know that there is indeed 80 to 85 percent of the premium being spent on medical care. That's correct. The law requires insurers to spend 80 percent of their premium revenues in the individual and small group market and 85 percent in the large group market on health care, on clinical services, and also on activities that improve the quality of health care. And quite a bit of work went into trying to define what those were, which means essentially companies have 15 to 20 percent of their money left to spend on marketing and administrative costs and profit, although they also get to keep their investment income, so they actually have a bit more than that. But it basically, the goal is to require companies to spend the vast majority of the premiums they bring in on health care. Now, historically, most efficiently run insurers are pretty close to that, but there are insurers out there right now that are spending as little as 60, 55% of their premiums on health care. 
And when you consider that the average health insurer spends 30% of their premiums on physician services, that doesn't seem quite right. Well, and that is a bone of contention, I'm sure, with some. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What, when you say that's not right, what are some of the controversial aspects of this? I mean, one point that insurers make is that insurers are very different, that you have a different medical overhead costs with a high deductible policy or with a limited benefit or mini-med policy or with a policy that serves expatriates or internationals or a policy that has a very, very small number of enrollees in a particular state, that all of those tend to have higher medical loss ratios than, say, your big Blue Cross plan is going to have. And the statute allows HHS to take account of that. So the statute does, in fact, have special provisions for very small plans, and the regulation has special provisions for international and expatriate plans and mini-med plans. But basically, the goal is to get insurers to get up to the 80-85% threshold. And the consequence, by the way, of them not doing that is that they're going to owe a rebate at the end of the year. If an insurer spends 70% of its premium on health care and quality improvement, at the end of the year it's going to have to pay 10% of the money back to its enrollees in a rebate. So there's a fairly significant incentive there for insurers to actually spend money on health care, which once again is why most of us think we buy health insurance. Well, and the other thing too, my understanding is, and correct me if I'm not accurate, that the policies that we're talking about here would be those that are state regulated, like people who buy individual policies and small groups. It doesn't necessarily apply to somebody who works for a big employer and has a self-insured plan. That's correct. It only applies to insured plans because with a self-insured plan, you really don't have premiums. The employer carries the risk itself. On the other hand, this has not been, to my knowledge, nearly as much of a problem with self-insured plans because the employer has to pay directly for the overhead. Uh, The overhead tends to be lower than certainly insured plans in the small group and non-group market. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Timothy Jost. He is a law professor at Washington and Lee University School of Law, and he's one of the nation's foremost experts on health law, and we're talking about the health law of the day, so to speak, the health reform law, and one of the tenets of the bill on medical loss ratios, where basically insurance companies, particularly those people out there who buy individual and small group policies, the insurance company will now have to provide 80 to 85%, spend 80 to 85% of your premium dollar on medical care. And Mr. Jose, is this an expansion of something that has existed in some states? And I guess the reason I'm asking is I want to know, how has this worked in states that have already had these requirements, if they have? Well, yes, many states currently have medical loss ratio requirements. They tend to be different, number one, because they tend to, number one, not count quality improvement expenses only count medical costs, they also tend to be much lower, like, for example, 60%. And the intention of these has been to make sure that you don't have companies that are basically fraud and that are selling health insurance but not actually paying for health care. 
the requirements that the states have imposed have mostly been fairly minimal. Now, there are exceptions to that. There are some states that have fairly high medical loss ratios, but not many of them. And the goal of this statute is really to drive efficiency in the healthcare industry, to get health insurers to actually increase the percentage of their premiums that they're spending on health care. Although, again, as I said, the most efficiently run health care insurers are already there. This is really to drive the laggards on. And you bring up an interesting point because for our physician listeners out there, the American Medical Association, other doctor groups have been lobbying for years for strong loss ratio requirements. And my understanding is, you know, some of the repercussions that doctors are going to face, and at least in some of the insurance companies that I've talked to, is that they are going to start really pushing quality, at least they say they will, or be monitoring costs more closely in physicians who might be higher costs or are not churning out higher quality might find themselves not in the network. Do you see that as a real possibility? Well, the statute does allow insurers to claim quality improvement costs as costs that count against the medical loss ratio. And the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, which basically wrote the regulation on this under the statute, and to which I am a consumer representative, spent a lot of time trying to decide what counts as quality improvement costs. And basically, we came up with, I think, four or five categories, which were preventing rehospitalizations, protecting patient safety, improving patient outcomes, improving wellness and prevention, and then related IT costs. But we rejected the idea that utilization review was a quality improvement cost. We rejected the idea that fraud prevention was a quality improvement cost. Of course, those are things that insurers engage in, and cost control, of course, is a legitimate concern for insurers. But those are not activities that are expressly encouraged by this statute. Those will have to come out of the insurer's general overhead costs, and they will continue to do those things. But there has been a general movement towards trying to drive value through insurance payments, and I'm sure that will continue independent of this. And on utilization review, if we can take that one, why did the Association of Insurance Commissioners say that doesn't count toward the health care costs? The question is, is, is the goal of utilization review primarily quality improvement or is it primarily cost control? And the insurers have always said it was primarily cost control, and basically the NAIC took them at their word. Once the law was there and it was clear that insurers were going to be able to exclude, essentially exclude quality improvement costs from their overhead, everything became quality improvement. I mean, the insurers were arguing everything we do is quality. That's all we are is we're all about quality. And so the NEIC and HHS then took a hard look at that and said, well, sure, these are good things. You should be doing them, but you do have 15 to 20 percent of your premiums to spend on things like utilization review, and it shouldn't come out of the pockets of your patients and your professionals. And so it ended up in the overhead pot rather than in the quality improvement pot. I think that's appropriate. Congress could have written the law so that cost control activities would count as well, and it didn't. Looking ahead, do you think that there will be a measurable way to look back on this and say, you know what, we improved care and we kept costs in check? Or have there been studies that have shown that in states where they do have strong medical loss ratios? Well, the goal of medical loss ratios is not 
to hold costs overall in check. I mean, I think everybody understands that the main driver of healthcare premium increases is not profit, although there's some of that involved, but it's rather the cost of healthcare. And the medical loss ratio does not directly address the cost of healthcare. There are other things in the legislation that do. HHS came out with a regulation to implement the provision that creates oversight for unreasonable premium increases and said that insurers from now on are going to have to justify any premium increase in excess of 10%. So that may have some effect on costs. But this regulation is not primarily intended to affect medical costs. In fact, if you think about it, the higher the medical costs an insurer pays, the higher it gets, the more it gets to keep for overhead. <laughs> On the other hand, it is a goal of this to drive quality, and the way in which quality is defined is that quality improvement activities have to be evidence-based and they have to actually show results. So I think the hope here is and the goal is that we will, in fact, see whether insurers are capable of driving quality and how they best go about doing it. And you say that most insurers are already doing this. I mean, they're already achieving these goals. I mean, these are achievable things. They are achievable as to whether most are there or not. I'm not sure I can say that with confidence. I can say that studies show that the big blue plans, the big national insurers, at least on average, are there most of the time. I think a lot of the problems has been with much smaller insurers. And, of course, with very small insurers, it's a problem getting there, and the regulation recognizes that. But there's also the problem that big insurers tend to vary from year to year. And, again, historically, all the pressure has been for them to spend as little on medical care as possible and to keep as much for profit because that's what the investors wanted. This is going to now create a counterbalance to that and the pressure driving in the other direction. I should say, by the way, that the AMA worked together with the consumer representatives at the NAIC and was very helpful in pushing for getting a good, strong regulation out there that would make sure that most of the money that people spend in health care insurance is, in fact, being spent on health care. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Timothy Jost, who's been our guest. We've been talking about medical loss ratios, and I suppose we're going to know whether this works and whether insurers are abiding by them if consumers out there start to get rebates in the coming years from their health insurance companies. So I'd like to thank Timothy Jost of the Washington and Lee University School of Law, who's been our guest today. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on the air. Please check us out at ReachMD.com. And I'd like to thank you today for listening.